that's the question I've been asking myself Like truly will I bear my cross and die to myself We claim Christ to be risen, isn't this what makes us different? So then why is it in life? We live like he isn't Cause if it's just a religion, then that's me in the corner I'm leaving that behind, really it's about faith Great love takes time, it's so much more than a rhyme Or some song we sing, so what's holding you back? From dancing in the rain, for me to live as Christ And to die as gain, bringing the hook in the game Say Amen, 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 amen. What's up, church? What just happened this morning? What, what was that? I went to the room to pray and all of a sudden I'm going... <laughs> what? Amen. Anybody excited about the word this morning? I hope you keep stay excited. You already know. Go ahead. Go ahead. People think I give you money to speak at me like that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Amen. Father, we just ask you, Lord, Father God, that you would get out of the way of the speaker and the listener, God, that you would be the word today, that your word would go forth, God, that it would be inside us, God, that it would take root and change us in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I usually start with a quote, but I want to start with a story today. My, um, my daughter works at the emergency room. And some of you might have heard this story, just listen to it again and go, oh, wow. And so she works in the emergency room, and one day she was, she was there, you know, at, at, I guess doing whatever it is she does, and, and there was this huge commotion, and people were running all over the place, and, you know, EMTs and nurses, and, and a lot of commotion going on. And, and, you know, because she's like me, she went toward the commotion, you know, to find out. Averigua, right? To, to find out like what's happening because people are running everywhere. Then there's blood everywhere. There was, it was a bad scene, right? And then uh, all of a sudden when things settled, when, when, when things cleared, there was a trail of blood on the floor that led to a lady sitting in a chair with a newborn baby. And of course, she, you know, she tells me she cried and, and, you know, she was all, she was emotional. She said it was beautiful. And she said something to me that I'll never forget. She used these words. She said, it was beautiful. Even the trail of blood was beautiful. Mm. I open with this story to make a point. As we go through this word together, like we're doing, we can have all kinds of commotions come up. We can get heated and debate. We can make all kinds of scenes. We can find all kinds of trouble. We can reveal all kinds of messes along this journey through the word together. As I'm sure will happen today as we go deeper. But if at the end... There's new life. If at the end of our issues, if at the end of our mess, if at the end of our troubles, we can trace that path to the chair with the new life, then it's all going to be worth it. Amen? And then even the trail of blood will be beautiful. Now ready? 
I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about our spiritual journeys, about our walk with God as I share a message in our new series through, through the book of 1 Corinthians titled, A New Life. A New Life. Y'all ready? Open your Bibles. Check it. Make sure I'm not making things up. We're in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 around there, por ahí. Last week we talked about the pictures that Paul paints for the Christians at Corinth, at Corinth and, and for us, the church in the city. Those of us that are trying to, to live this word out in today's culture. Right? And Paul says, I urge you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we talked about how we really need to step up, right? And take the lead and, and be leaders that others can follow, right? And, and listen, I know, you know, it, we have to really get to the point where, and I know this is difficult, but get to the place where everything is not about us. We really, trust me, you'd be so much happier if you understood that everything is not about you. That, that's, that's revelation for some people already. Right? See, it's not about, we, we, it's not about what's more fun for me, what's better for me, what am I gonna enjoy more, what am I gonna like more, what, and we, we go to church like that sometimes. We have to get to the point, and, and I know it's hard in this mentality of, of, of this self-absorbed society that we live in where everything is go for yours and get yours and have it your way, right? It's hard to, to, to think about, about you know, something other than us, but I'll say it again. If we don't, who will? If we, the church, don't, then who will? Amen? Alright, so Paul is dealing with issues in the church, right? We've been, we've been going through this. And now, in, in chapter 6, if you turn to chapter 6, Paul is almost overwhelmed by another report that he's heard about the church in Corinth. And he's about to deal with it. He started dealing with some sexual issues back in chapter 5, right? And now, and trust me, we're going to get back to some sexual issues in a minute, so prepare yourselves. Can I, can I tell you right now, this, this sermon is rated M.A. So if you need to make any adjustments, amen? Don't get mad at me later, I gave you the warning. Okay. So he's, he's going to deal with some sexual issues in a minute. But first, there's something else at, that the Christian Corinthians are doing that grieves Paul's heart. He, he's doing some housekeeping here in the church, and I believe he really has the Father's heart on this. He starts in chapter 6. It seems like what was going on was that Christians were having disagreements with each other, and they were taking each other to court. So Christians were suing Christians in court. Right? And so look, look what he says here in, in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, when you have something against one another, another Christian, he says, why do you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter? Instead of taking it to other Christians who, who can help you decide what is right. He says, don't you know that someday we Christians are going to judge the world? And, and since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide these little things amongst yourselves? Don't you realize that you, that, that Christians will judge angels? What is, what is he talking about? The fallen angel, Satan, 
Right? There's going to become a day of judgment where we stand with the Lord and, and judgment comes and Satan will be cast down, the word says. Right? Why do you think Satan is so after the Christians, is so after us that serve God? Why? Because we're going to stand in judgment over him. So every time he can get one of us to fall, to, to come over, to fall away, he looks at us and he, and he says, that's one less Christian that's going to judge me. That's one less that will stand in judgment. That's Satan's motto, one less. One less that's going to stand in judgment, right? Okay, so, so Paul tells them, so you should be surely able to resolve ordinary disagreements here on earth. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you, he says. Isn't there anyone in all the church who was wise enough to decide these arguments? But instead, one Christian sues another right in front of unbelievers. That's the key. To have such lawsuits at all is a real defeat for you, he says. See, there's a bigger picture here and everything in between. Now, now let's be careful. Because some of you got offended. This place got real quiet. Some of you say, mm, he's, that's, he's, that's way off. Let's be careful. There's a doctrine called relativism. And this is the doctrine that knowledge and truth and morality exist in relation to culture, society, and context. What does that mean? How many times have you heard people say, well, that's old-fashioned? Come on, that's, that's old school. People say, come on, come on, this is 2011. As if the year changes who God, what God said and who He is. People say, you know, that's what, that, this is, this is how it is now. You have to adjust. This is what goes on now. Listen, churches can't teach that stuff anymore. People are not gonna come. Church, I've been preaching the truth since we started and we just keep getting bigger. So so if you don't like what you're hearing, it's because you didn't come to hear the word. Right? Possibly you came to be stroked, not to hear the word of God. And so when we hear the word of God, sometimes it offends us. Sometimes it convicts us. Sometimes we stand in direct opposition of it. It happens to me too. Can I be honest with you? I'm not like this. I don't float. You see, I'm still standing on the floor. I wear shoes. I wear them out like you do. Right? I don't float around like a heavenly being or nothing. Sometimes I read the word and I say, Ay, ay, my God. And, and I gotta study deeper. Maybe there's a way around this. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe that's not what he meant. Maybe, maybe, you know, oh, wow, wow, that's hard. And imagine you just have to read it. I gotta preach it. You, you could always have the excuse. I, I, I went to the bathroom. I didn't hear him say that. Right? No, I'm, I was distracted. I had a headache. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, somebody was texting me. Oh, I went to the store. I missed that. I never heard that. I had to preach it. So I wrote it. I studied it. I spoke it. It's on video. <laughs> I got no excuse. Amen. 
So, so this, this relativism, in other words, society and culture determines what's truth. And that's where we are today, isn't it? That means that truth changes with the times. See, I believe one reason Paul was so outraged by having Christians go before a secular court for truth was because the truth in the world always changes. We decide what's truth. Right? We, we accept what we want as truth and then we say, well, that's not, that might be right for you, that's not right for me. Right? How many people are like, that's okay for you, that's not okay for me. Or this is okay for me, that's not okay for you. Right? For you, for me, for me. Right? Everything is, you know, it, it, it's okay, it's all good, it's all relative. You might say as long as we love each other, it's the same thing as being married. So we could, you know. We can have sex, we can still, and still be righteous before God. Can I talk about this? You can, you can say, listen, 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 times have changed, brothers. Ease up, back up, let down your guard. Listen to what you're asking. If two people love each other, gender doesn't matter. Family, I'm sorry, but that's not true. That's not true. It's not true you you may say you know we we we, the bottom line is we can say whatever we want and we can do whatever we want we can give ourselves permission to determine right and wrong for ourselves but there is a fixed source of truth and that truth is with god and john 17 17 says the word is truth and the bottom line is listen you can do anything you want I'm not going to follow you home. You can do anything you want, right? But if you want to stand in right relationship with God, then we have to use His definitions. If if I want to be in relationship with my wife, then I have to understand what she expects from me, right? And so me sleeping around with, with everybody once in a while is not okay with her definitions. I can say, but that's what I learned growing up. That's what, what, what my father did and my father's father, and, and that's just what was handed down. That's what I, well, well, listen, that's not my definition of what this marriage is. You understand? Whoever we're going to be in a relationship with, we have to use their definitions And so, if we want to be in right relationship with God, we got to use His. And see, God didn't leave us to figure it out and find out what works for us. He already decided for us that the Creator already created what He designed to work the way it works. I mean, look at the beginning. Adam had no choices. God made all the animals. He said, knock yourself out. No. I'll make a helpmate for you. And God made a woman. And God said, now, out of you, I'll create this. This is, wait till you see the parts that she has. This is going to be exciting. I made this just for you. Trust me, you're going to like this. He, He didn't give Adam any choices. See, God gives us instructions on how to live the way that he wants us to live. There's a Greek word that comes from this and it's, it's, trans, it's translated, or the Greek word is pornea. I wonder what that sounds like. We translate it sometimes fornication, right? And so pornea is the grouping of all sexual sins. There's like a, a bucket to put every sexual sin in. 
any type of intercourse outside of marriage, the Bible considers pornea. Why is pornea a sin? I'm glad you guys asked. Because God said it is. How about that? How many parents like that? Because I said it is, that's why. (laughs) Why can't I? Because I said so. Barnes, in his commentary, he says, Pornea so often appears first in the New Testament sin lists, not because the first Christians had a lot of hang-ups about sex. Instead, it is because the area of sex was one of the most dramatic places where the ethics of Greek culture clashed with the ethics of Jesus. Sexual immorality was an accepted fact of life for the common person in this Greek culture. And Paul is saying it is not to be so among the followers of Christ. See, pornea was about the pairing of mixed things. So, idolatry is man plus false god. Uh, Incense, incest was man plus relative. Homosexuality, prostitution, you get the picture. Right? Understand, uh, I need you to to hear this. This wasn't some old-fashioned stuff from back in the day. You know, you might, you might, we might read this and say, well, but that was, you know, back in the day. Today is different. No! No! L- listen to what Guzik says in his commentary about 1 Corinthians. <coughs> Paul was not writing in or of a homophobic culture. Homosexuality was rampant in Paul's culture. Fourteen out of the first fifteen Roman emperors were bisexual or homosexual. <coughs> At the very time Paul was writing, Nero was emperor. Nero had taken a boy named Sporus, had him castrated, and then married him with a full ceremony. He brought him to the palace with a great procession, and he made the boy his wife. Later, Nero in Nero's life, Nero lived with another man, and Nero was declared to be that man's wife. See, the the problem was also that the Christians at Corinth, they had gotten so spiritual, and this happens to us and is prevalent, that they believed that only the spiritual matters to God. See, so that means that they could do anything they wanted with the body because they've reached this spiritual higher level. We see this in a lot of cults today. What are the cult leaders? They're going to sleep with everybody. Everybody going to have my babies. Right? Why? Because, see, the, only the spiritual matters to God. Whatever we do with the rest of this, it doesn't matter because we're on this higher level, right? Back then, if you were in the mood, you go get a prostitute. It's all good. Guess what? The prostitutes were in the temple. There were temple-paid prostitutes. See how twisted we got? We think we twisted now. We were just as jaded back then. We had, te- we had, pro- imagine, imagine like those three rooms are for the prostitutes. <laughs> Like everybody looked over there. Don't look over there. There's nobody over there for you. I'm joking. It's an example. No prostitutes there. What's wrong with you guys? They had this... Cons- Man, everybody was like, really? God, they had this conception that God only cares about the spiritual. And, and that mindset is prevalent in the church today. We say, well, God understands. Mm. Come on, say it. Mm. God understands. God knows. 
God knows what. God knows what he told you, and God knows what you're doing. That's all God knows. God cares about everything. By looking at this sin list, God cares about everything from who you worship, to who you sleep with, to who you talk about. Paul writes to this culture, verse 12, he, say, he says, because they thought everything is permissible for them, right? Everything is allowable. He says, listen, everything may be permissible, I may be allowed to do everything, but I reply to you, not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And then, watch this, he battles head on with their doctrine regarding the body. He's going to break it down. He said, listen, I'm going to leave you here with no excuses. Verse 13, he says, but our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And now, here's the bomb dropper, verse 15. He says, do you realize that your bodies are actually a part of Christ? Should a man take his body which belongs to Christ and join it to a prostitute? And Paul answers, never. And, and don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her in body. For the scripture says the two become one flesh. Listen, this is a crazy lesson I'm going to drop on you right now. One flesh, we see this in the gospel of Mark, in the gospel of Matthew, even from the beginning in Genesis, it says the two will become one flesh. I need you to, to understand this. There is a bond that sex creates. Woo, come on. The two become one. There, there is a bond that, that, see, God created sex this way. Is, is that a revelation to some of you that God created sex? <laughs> Say amen. <laughs> see, the, the church is always taught sex is dirty. We don't talk about that. Alone. Sex is sucio. No. <laughs> Do you think we decided to put you know, there with that. No, God designed it. It's a beautiful thing. It's supposed to feel good. It's supposed to. You're supposed to want it. <laughs> I got all my old schoolers getting all nervous. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> God created sex. And, but the thing is, because God created, there's a spiritual glue to it. And so, why do so many marriages fall apart and have a hard time staying together? I'm glad you asked. Because by the time many decide to get married, they have become one with so many people. That there's a lot of spiritual baggage. See, in the spiritual, there's no such thing as casual sex. Get, get this, in the singles, get this, young people, get this, in the spirit, in the spiritual, there's no such thing as casual sex. Whenever you join with someone, you become one. Then when you pull apart, there is a tearing, there's a ripping, a part of you stays with that person, a part of you stays with that person, and that leaves less and less of you. When you finally come to be with the one that God created you to be, there's so much damage, it's hard to stay together.
Listen, I understand this is a hard word, but I warned you. I warned you from the beginning, I'm not going to skip anything that's in the word. On this journey, we're going to have to deal with whatever comes up. Amen? And the bottom line is this, listen, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to change because of anything that I say. But if you're even listening to this today, I believe it's because you want to have a relationship with God. I believe it's because you want to be in right standing before God. And the truth is, whether we accept this or not doesn't change it. It is what it is. Just because you believe something is wrong or right doesn't automatically make it so. Let me give you a quick picture in closing. You can buy a car right out of the dealer, the best car, got a nice BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, whatever, right? And you can decide to drive it underwater through a lake. It's yours. You bought it. You could do anything you want, right? But because it wasn't designed to do that, there are going to be some consequences that you're going to be forced to deal with, right? Anybody ever try to drive on the water? You, you, you. Somebody actually raised their hands. I don't believe this. Anyway. The, the bottom line is some things are not going to work right after that. Woo! The bottom line is you're going to find yourself in a pretty bad situation eventually. And, and, and the end of it all is you're probably going to need someone to save you. See, Paul says everything might be permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. It might be legal, but I will not become a slave to it. Understand, church, it's more than just the sexual issues. It matters how we worship and who. Family, don't play with the saints and the tarot cards and the horoscopes. It matters to God. It matters what we say, and it matters who we say it about. Let me give you one word on that. Watch your mouth. It matters how we walk. Somebody is watching. Somebody is following. And so the beautiful thing is after Paul gives this huge sin list, you can read that and say, man, nobody getting into heaven. (laughs) Anybody ever felt that way? You read that list, you say, man, I'm on three of those. This week. <laughs> Nobody's getting into it. Paul says, listen, Paul says, nobody that lives like this will enter the kingdom. Then he says in verse 11, some of you were like that. Get this. But now your sins are washed away. But you were set apart for God. You were made right with God through Jesus. See, these things are what some of you were. See, these things on the list, they're behaviors. They're not who we are. Oh, get this please. I'm sorry, I'm going long, but I'm closing. In case nobody has ever told you, let me tell you this. You are not what you've done. You're not even what you're doing right now sometimes. That's a behavior. Paul says, you were once like that, but 
You can, you can be washed. You can be sanctified. You can be justified. You can be washed. The word says we're washed clean from sin by the mercy of God. Titus 3 5. We can have our sins washed away by the calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 22 16. We're washed by the work of Jesus on the cross. Revelations 1 5. And by the word of God. Ephesians 5 26. We're sanctified. We're set apart away from the world and unto God by the work of Jesus on the cross. He Hebrews 10.10, by God's word, John 17.19, by faith in Jesus, Acts 26.18, and by the Holy Spirit, Romans 15.16. We're justified, we're declared just before the court of God, not merely not guilty, but just before Him. We're justified by His grace through the work of Jesus on the cross, Romans 3.24, by faith and not by our own deeds, Romans 3.28. See, listen, listen, listen. God can take the kind of people described in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 and make them the people described in verse 11. The beautiful thing about grace, the beautiful thing about our gospel, our Savior, our Redeemer is that it saves, it redeems. It's good news. And we can go from verse 9 and 10 right to verse 11 right now. Worship team, come on. We can go from being excluded to being included. We can go from being spiritually bankrupt to having a full inheritance. We can choose to live this way or not. We can decide who to follow. Listen, I know firsthand that it can take years to go from verse 9 and 10 to verse 11. Anybody testify to that? It can take years to go from verse 9 and 10 to verse 11. Even though they're right next to each other. But His grace is sufficient for you this morning. His mercies are new. Church, I'll confess to you, if you look at the mess of my own life, you'll find at times where there was chaos. You'll you'll find all kinds of commotions around my life that I created. You, you, you can talk about all the trouble that I've caused myself and all the hurt that I've created. But somewhere in my mess, God got a hold of me. And so now if you look towards the end of my journey, there's a new life. There's a new life. See, when you look past all the trouble, past all the mess, and you see the King of Kings sitting on the throne in me, and there's a new life. And when you consider the cross, even the trail of blood is beautiful. Can we bow our heads? Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Father, I thank you, God, that no one here, not one, is too far gone. I thank you, God, that we are not what we do, God. I thank you that we're not what we've done, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that somewhere along the mess, somewhere amongst the chaos, somewhere in the middle of all this chaos and confusion, you speak life. And you bring everything into order. 
and you bring everything into the way it should be. Father, I pray, God, that if, if there would be any uh, uh, offense today, God, that they were, if there would be any, any, any miscommunication, if there would be any confusion, God, I pray, God, that you would settle it in their hearts today, Lord. But, Father, I, I don't apologize for speaking your word, Lord. I thank you for your word which cuts. I thank you for your word which is sharper than a double-edged sword cutting right down to the marrow. And I pray, Lord God, that we can receive that word and that we can receive this new life. Listen, if you haven't done so, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's not about coming forward. It's not about saying some little prayer. That, that transforms you. It's about believing and walking. And if you're ready for that, I just invite you to stand right where you are. Say, I'm ready to believe and I'm ready to walk. Listen, some simple little prayer is not going to do anything. Coming forward to the altar, you can do that every week. But if you don't believe and walk it out, nothing's going to change. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. The Word says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you want somebody to pray for you, if you just want to gather together with the saints, would you just come forward and worship? Let's just worship a couple minutes. I'm sorry we went a little long today. Let's just worship just just a few more minutes and we'll dismiss but this is too important to let go amen there's people standing there's people making decisions that that i'm gonna believe and i'm gonna follow would you stand with them church